prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Chris Pine on his two new films and a possible return to Star Trek. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused, and I am thrilled to say Chris Pine, surprisingly, his first trip to the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. Um, many chats with, with Chris over the years, but the first long-form chat we've ever had, so uh, this one definitely delivers. I'll get into that in a second, but first I want to get into the housekeeping stuff. Um, first big announcement right off the bat, I want to let you guys know that we have um, set in stone our next live 92nd Street Y Happy, Sad, Confused event. If you are in New York City on April 21st, I highly recommend you coming out to see The Northman, the new movie from Robert Eggers, director of The Lighthouse and The Witch, followed by a conversation between me and Alexander Skarsgård for a live edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Uh, really great new movie. The, uh, the Northman is this just bloody, dark, cool um, Viking film. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. But it's, it's, you know, if you've seen Robert Eggers' past work, you know this guy's got the goods, and he is three for three now as a filmmaker. Um, so, yes, if you're in New York City, I highly recommend trying to come out and see us live in person. It's going to be great. The movie is fantastic. And then afterwards, you're going to have an hour-long chat between me and Alexander Skarsgård, who has always been a delight with me. I, I just respect his career so much. This guy, you know, looks like, you know, he's, looks like he's delivered by the gods. He has one of these just, like, genetic, like, mutations in that he's a perfect human specimen, but he plays, like, every manner of character in his career. He's played a lot of, like, just horrible, <laughs> horrible men in recent years. He's also done the leading man thing occasionally with stuff like Tarzan or now in The Northman. Um, so there's a lot to discuss with Alexander. Uh, he's He's got a great sense of humor. Always love chatting with him, and this conversation uh, anchored around this great new movie will be fantastic. So, as always, the link is in the bio for how to get tickets uh, to be there to watch uh, the conversation. I highly recommend you coming out to say hi. I, I, I'd love to see you guys there. Um, it'll be a fun one. Me, Alexander Skarsgård, The Northman, April 21st in New York City. I believe the screening is at 8 p.m., followed by the conversation. Late night, but hey, it's a big, big fun night. Bring a date. It'll be cool. Anyway, um, let's see. Other housekeeping stuff. Uh, oh, cool new episode of the Untitled Josh Horowitz Show for Comedy Central coming at you later this week with Karen Gillan, one of my favorites. Karen uh, has two new films as well, just like Chris Pine. She's got a new film called Duel, very cool new flick, uh, and The Bubble, which is the latest from Judd Apatow, very funny movie. Um, so look forward to that. I'll tweet it. I'll put it on my Instagram. You know, you know the drill. Um, what else? What else? Well, this is our first uh, podcast post-Oscars. I have no more hot takes on the Oscars. You've probably heard them all by now. Um, I'm not going to get into the controversy because I'm exhausted by it myself. Uh, I will say, though, I'm thrilled for many of the winners. I loved seeing Coda celebrated. It was just a, a movie I fell in love with as soon as I saw it. Um, I guess like 14 months ago or so. So just thrilled that it made it to the finish line and got recognized in this way. Um, loved that Jessica Chastain, who has always been, for my money, one of the great actors working uh, ever since she came on the scene. Uh, loved to see her recognized. Loved to see West Side Story recognized in the form of Ariana DeBose's uh, performance as Anita. Um, Troy Kotzer again for Coda. Uh, yeah, they spread the wealth, I think, in a good way, and I, I, I'm, I'm just thrilled that there was a lot of great film celebrated. Summer of Soul and Best Documentary, my former co-worker Joseph Patel on the stage getting an award, an award next to uh, Questlove. That was a treat to see. Um, so yeah, a lot of great stuff, and yeah, a little insane stuff too, but uh, let's keep it positive today for the podcast. Um, all right, let's talk about the main event. Chris Pine is on the podcast today. He has two new movies out. One is called The Contractor. Uh, him, Ben Foster, Kiefer Sutherland. Um, kind of a, as, as, as Chris will describe it, it's a little bit of like born action, but with some 
deeper issues underlying it. Um, uh, a, a really cool new flick. I really enjoyed it. Also, in, in a different kind of vein, but also in kind of the action spy vein a little bit, is this movie All the Old Knives. All the Old Knives features Chris, uh, Tandy Newton. I don't know if she's, I know she's like changed the spelling of her name. It's Tandaway Newton. I want to respect that. I think it's Tandaway now. Um, she's fantastic with Chris. Um, Jonathan Price is in it. Lawrence Fishburne. This is kind of more of a old school kind of Cold War, uh, Jean Le Carré kind of uh, spy thriller. Um, really dug this one too. Um, not like the big action kind of thing, but a kind of a slow burn, sexy thriller. If that's your speed, check out All the Old Knives. Or if you want something a little bit more action oriented, uh, go for The Contractor. As for the conversation, loved this one. Loved this one. Chris Pine uh, is someone I've talked to for many years. Um, Star Trek, obviously, uh, as the anchor kind of our conver of our conversations every few years, but about a, a great many films. And as I say to him, sometimes I feel like I'm vibing with Chris, and sometimes I feel like he's kind of giving me the side eye, like, what is this Josh Horowitz character up to? So um, part of the joy of this podcast is I can almost kind of dissect my own relationship with these actors and filmmakers sometimes, given the time. And that was a fun kind of added wrinkle to this conversation. And sure enough, Chris confirms he's sometimes a little bit, you know, a little, little uh, circumspect about me. But um, maybe I want him over permanently today. Um, look, not to say, he's always been very professional with me, always great with me. But um, like I said, fun to kind of dissect that kind of like weird stuff between an actor and a journalist. Um, not to mention all the stuff about his career we talk about, which is fantastic. Um, really loved hearing about his early um, work in film and how he kind of wrestled with his image as a, you know, kind of a, I, I think I termed it in the conversation as a himbo. He really was kind of like cast in that kind of generic um, uh, leading man or, or bland leading man kind of guy at first. And to hear Chris say it, he just didn't relate to that guy at all. And, you know, you think of him as, like, this, like, super attractive dude, but, like, that's not who he felt like he was in his bones. So I thought that was a really telling part of the conversation. Um, of course, we talk about Star Trek and the future of Star Trek. Um, we talk about his unique connection with Quentin Tarantino. Um, yeah, we cover a lot in this one, and I, I've listened to it back, and I'm really proud of it. Um, he... I, have, I also, by the way, when I was doing my research, it's one of these actors that surprisingly has not done like any long-form conversations, at least in podcast or video form, like this. I mean, I'm sure there have been some maybe I missed, but I did my research, guys. This is kind of this is kind of uncharted territory. So if you're if you're a Chris Pine fan and you've been waiting for the deep dive Chris Pine conversation, you've come to the right place. Okay, uh, enough preamble. Those are all the plugs. Remember one, once more. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, April 21st. Truly, come out for this movie, which is a special one. The I don't think the critics have weighed in yet. I probably have broken some kind of embargo, but it's The Northman. It's from Robert Eggers. You knew it was going to be good. Um, but uh, come out if you can. I'd love to see you guys there, and uh, it'll be a fun night in New York. Um, all right, here's the main event on the pod uh, this week. Please enjoy me and Mr. Chris Pine, and remember to check out his two, two new movies, The Contractor and All the Old Knives. Uh, hey, man, how's it going? I'm really well. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're giving LA a run for its money here in New York today. It's a lovely 70 de degree day. So, you know, I don't want you flaunting your 80 degree weather over me. Wow, for us. Man. wow. good for you. I like that. I like how I'm taking credit for it as if it's like an accomplishment. I did it. I did it, Chris. Pretty weird. The next thing is referring to yourself in the third person. I can't wait for that to happen. Well, we have 45 minutes, so wait till the end of this. Right. <laughs> what happened to the... Uh, to the Moses biopic beard. You, you, I was ready to go full on 30 minutes just on the beard and you've denied me that. Well, just throwing a curveball. See how agile you are. I've got nothing left. I have no, literally nothing oh, here. Great. I can, I can hit the massage and sauna early. Perfect. Perfect. Um, no, it's good to see you, man. As always, there's a lot to talk about. You got not one, but two cool new flicks uh, coming to folks. And um You've never done the podcast, so this is this is the time when we can both like cry into each other's Zoom boxes and go really deep. Oh, this isn't your. Oh, this is your pod. I thought it was your show. 
well, it's a show. Podcasts are shows. Right. So you've you've done every Josh Horowitz vehicle over the years. You've done the Comedy Central show. Uh-huh. Now you're doing the podcast. I feel like, and I'm going to be honest, since we do have time, Chris, I feel like there have been times where to quote Tommy Lee Jones to Jim Carrey, you did not sanction my buffoonery, where you were you were not on the Josh Horowitz wavelength. You, you require a certain level of, I need a key into Horowitz energy. Sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. I'm not a, I'm not a fucking dancing monkey over here, dude. Come on. And you, you don't pay me nearly enough. <laughs> no. no, nil. Don't worry. There's no monkey dance today. This, we, we could just have a normal human conversation. <laughs> um, so talk to me a little bit first on, let's talk about these two new films. These are, as I understand, these are your first two features you've executive produced, if I have that right. I think that is accurate okay. yes so where, where are we at in terms of that side of your career is that just a natural i mean i obviously so many actors i talk to nowadays uh, work on producing their own material is that about just finding material for yourself just being self-generating taking an active role where are you at in terms of, yes. in terms of that definitely all of that for sure um definitely all of that for sure Look, it's about a little bit more power and control. And it's nice to have at least contractually uh, stated, you have to listen to me. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, it's a security blanket. You know, okay, if yeah, shit hits the so, fan, hey, I, got, I can say something here. Yeah. So, being involved for many years where you feel like you're just the hired help is it's nice to have a bit more control. I also come from, you know, I my parents spent a lot of money to give me a college degree in English. So, I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of, I know how to read, man. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, and I know how to give story notes. Food. So um, there's a bit of that. I started my production company with a good buddy of mine, Ian Gottler, at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was the perfect timing for it because it just gave me structure for my life. So really, it, at the end of the day, it gave me eight hours a day of something like, I need to show up. We need to talk yeah. about X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I'm getting a chance to hire a bunch of my friends, a bunch of people that I really love and respect that uh, now because of whatever entree I can give into the business, you know, uh, I can do. And that's really fun. That's really fun. Which which of these two projects came around, which has been kind of incubating longer, the, contra- the contractor or all of us? As far as I recall, both around the same time. I got both of them. Um, I loved both of them. Um, all the old knives I read and and it's I thought was a nearly perfect script. Um, this one was trickier. It wasn't totally there. It was going to take some mining, but it, I couldn't stop thinking about it because I thought it was a really sneakily intelligent man's thriller, right? Um, that required some unpacking and investigating. So. Well, it does. It has kind of the trappings of that kind of like, you know, man on the run, wronged man, born identity kind of thing. But like beneath it, there's some there's some weighty stuff we're dealing with in terms of like these men and women that are discarded that find themselves like left without a, a path. Well, it's, um, you know, you get 30 minutes in the beginning of the film. That's a family drama, essentially. Right. Uh, and then it ramps up and then it's kind of a freight train that, that, that can't stop. Um, but I had read. Um, Two books are really pivotal, one of which I'd, I'd read before for another part, Carl Marlantis, um, uh, How We Go to War, What It's Like to Go to War, um, which is kind of a psycho-spiritual exegesis on going to war, all about it. What it's like to go to war, kill, be, be shot at, deal with your ghost, deal with the trauma. I mean, it's fucking gorgeous writing, gorgeous yeah. writing, and so heartbreaking. But he talks about how that, you know, even in very primitive cultures, when you send a warrior off to, to, to go, there is like a full, um, there is a full experience, like a week long thing where they prepare the man to go off to war. And then when the man comes back from war, similarly, there's another thing to welcome him back in. And it's like over the course of the generations, it's like, we teach him to kill, go kill. And then they come back and they're supposed to go work at Home Depot after like, Right. Killing people. And I don't know how anyone thinks that's 
normal or okay. So that was really pivotal. And then um, the other book uh, I read was oh, Yuval Harari's Sapiens, which I know a lot of people read. But the thing that I got from that is this idea that the human being is the only animal on planet Earth that, that, that leads its life telling itself stories. We tell ourselves stories in order to give ourselves purpose yep. to live. Yep. And I thought, what a fascinating thing. Like I'd never thought about life that way, but it's what I'm involved in. It's my business for God's sake. But James is a composite of these stories, honor, country, democracy, America, courage, battlefield, honor, freedom, shining city on a hill, all these things that are just like America, 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 America. But if you're really investigating that, if, what if all that's stripped away? What are you left? What, with? what are you left? Yeah, what are you at the so, end of the day? Yeah. Anyway, that's my long-winded answer. For that. No, no, it's all fascinating. And you also surround yourself. And I want to talk about this with respect to both films. Um, this is your third, I believe, teaming with the great Ben Foster, who just isn't capable of giving a shitty performance. This guy's just like the, the truth on screen. Always. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've always admired this guy. Um, you guys clearly are thick as thieves by now. Um, what, what, what's different about playing a scene with Ben Foster than 99% of other actors? What do you get out of it? Um, well, uh, I remember when we did finest hours and I heard about Ben and I was like, ah, fuck, Ben's going to be all intent. And I I just don't, he's an intimidating dude. Yeah. Yeah. All this shit. And Ben is intense and he's all of these things, but he's also just the sweetest kind. He's so sensitive. He's like this little butterfly <laughs> on a bear's body. And um, I remember really thinking, I was like, oh, I don't feel so alone on set anymore because Ben has a way of thinking and a way of going about things that I, I find uh, I share with him. I can't really articulate it fully, but I felt a kindred spirit. And uh as it's just happened over the years, the way that we work, I think is I, there's not, there's no competitive energy. There's no out alphaing one another. There's no worrying about someone trying to fuck you, uh, fuck you over in a scene or try to steal right. you know, your shine. It's really just all about, okay, this is what the scene, what is it about? How do we make it the best? And then we just go to work and we start chiseling and then he'll throw me a line. I'll be like, I don't think that really worked. And then he's like, try that. So it's just this great, just so easy so you know it doesn't always necessarily mean it works out but it's just it facilitates an easier working environment right let's talk titles this film the contractor look at first blush i i I mistook this for a liam neeson movie about a wronged contractor out for revenge it's not that yeah this this is a tough one these are both tough titles honestly i mean like is this a tough one at your ep too like is it hard? Do you always know where to zero in? Do you know what the right path is? It's a really fair question. Um, I'm not going to say that it's my favorite title in the world. Um, I understand why it was chosen. Um, there is some, there is some logic behind it. I prefer the old title, Violence of Action, but right. you know, as they tested it, people didn't understand what it meant or whatever. You know. Look, it is what it is. All I need is people to get into theaters. And right. if people are going to be attracted by, um, you know, the poster is the kind of poster that you would imagine, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. I understand all the arguments for it. Come because you think it's going to be an action thriller. And I promise you there's more going on. I promise you there's a more complicated story than I would say 99% of these kinds of films but you can have your cake and eat it too. So that that's kind of what the, the, the feeling was about. A, a thousand percent. It totally makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan, honestly, of all the old knives as well. This is right up my alley. I mean, this is like kind of like that, that slow burn kind of Jean Le Carré uh-huh. vibe. Um, you've got a really, really cool cast. Like, you know, every couple of scenes, like another, like just A-lister, like A-list actor just like pops in and just like Jonathan Price, Lance Fishburne. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Um, Again, like, I mean, look, these are apples and oranges. They're totally different kinds of movies, but you've also, like, it's funny to look at the resume. Like, you've played a lot of different, like, shades of spy, military guy. Yeah. You know, like, is there anything that that, that correlates from one to another? Are you just at the right age where these are all the kinds of 
roles that are coming your way or, or I what's know. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe because I have more lines on my face, people buy me <laughs> someone that's lived a longer life. I don't, I don't know. Right. Um, but is this your, is this, is this as much your jam? What I'm talking about that kind of like oh, spy oh, thriller thing? All the little knives I put down, I loved every word of it. It was, it was my, I'm a huge, I'm a huge reader. I'm a huge spy reader. John Le Carre is one of my favorites. A Spy Who Came In From The Cold is a favorite film of mine, a favorite book of mine. It may be the perfect spy uh, book. Elegant, elevated, mature, international intrigue. I'm there for with like a sexy sex scene. I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> That's my speed all day long. So to get the cast and and you mentioned all the A-list, but all of the all of the the bit parts too, so to speak, the, the day players and the, the background, the mosaic the tapestry they were just extraordinary they're so good this team of, of actors we got and i cannot um i can't sing their praises enough nor the casting director that helped us out but um they did a spectacular job i'm also just like a, a sucker for like a good like mole hunt movie i'm one back in the day yeah. when i was growing up like no way out was like one of my favorites like and, no and it, right such a good one such a great twist ending people need to check it out the um and yeah there's some twists in this without revealing too much uh, yeah. and then kind of at the heart of this you kind of have like this almost like little chamber this little like this little play in in the center of it where you really get to like chew on oh, some really great. great material like you know some of the writing is it's a little too poetic for screen but it's just still delicious to say like all this shit that i tell jonathan price when my favorite one is like um uh yeah accuse you i'm not accusing you if i accuse you you'll be in a yeah. basement with your hands tied behind your back not sitting in a pub or whatever the fuck the line is <laughs> totally and i just i read it and i was like oh i can't wait to do that yeah it's my west wing moment you know it's my Aaron's totally story. totally hey speaking of west wing here's a segue to family and growing up your dad got directed by the great Aaron Sorkin uh, this uh, this past year, didn't he? Didn't he pop up in being the Ricardos? Do I have that wrong? I mean, you've now caught me off guard. I don't Dude, I what? Not you, you're, not cop- you're not keeping up with your dad's IMDb? He's literally Googling for those listening. <laughs> Here we go, please. Drum roll. I hope I have this right. If I don't, just for the record, no one will ever hear this. Oh my God! <laughs> Chris! Apparently he is! Chris! He didn't, he didn't tell me about that, though. Chris. <laughs> yes! Well, now you have another reason to check out the great Aaron Sorkin's latest work, being the Ricardos. How does that happen? You guys just casually don't mention each other's like latest performances? I mean, now, now, that, I, now that I think about it, he did say... He, I met, I remember him saying this a long time ago. Yes, it was working something, something, but I didn't put two and two together. Okay. <laughs> I guess I have to go. Yeah. Sorry, Aaron. I haven't seen your film yet, but I, I'm on it. No, All no. Right. Say sorry to your dad. Don't worry about Aaron Sorkin. It's okay. It's more important stuff. My dad just did a Magnum PI. He just did a Magnum PI. Oh, the new Magnum. The is- second Magnum PI. The first Magnum PI he did was in 1984. And on flashback, he played Tom Selleck's father. I love it. Magnum's father. Yeah. It doesn't get more 80s great TV than that. Come on. So, yeah. so, so okay. So let, let's go back, if you'll indulge me a little bit. You gr- grew up, dad, obviously a recognizable face to anybody that was watching TV in that time on chips uh, and many, many shows. Mom was an actor too. Um, did you set, spend a lot of time on sets growing up? And did and what was your view of like, was it a glamorous business or just like what mom and dad did? Uh. I don't remember spending too much time on set. I do remember my dad being with my father in a quantum leap set and being at craft service and seeing Scott Bakula. That's for some reason, one of my only surviving memories. Um, no, it was not glamorous. You know, my, my, uh, we had some very rough years uh, in my, like for a long time uh, where money was tight and work wasn't really coming. Um, no, the business is, I remember growing up pretty, pretty rough, not rosy colored and, um, not an easy ticket to a steady 
lifestyle for sure. So how did that, how did that color your own pursuit of, of the business and the craft? I mean, like, was it, was it kind of the last thing? Was, you weren't like a child actor. You weren't acting as I understand it. You weren't trying to get in things early. So was it kind of the last thing they were trying to do and you just were pulled in at, by the end? Or, I, or um, I went to college and I was a very shy kid. I'd play sports in high school, but I went to a really small school and I went to Berkeley, which is a huge school. And I just, I was never going to play sports at a level that I wanted to. Uh, and I was, I was shy. I didn't want to do the frat. So I, I didn't really have any friends. So I was trying to find something to do with my, just to do with myself. And a buddy of mine uh, asked me to go, he said, you should try out uh, this audition for this play. And I'd done one play in, co- in high school. So I went and auditioned for the play. I got the play. And then I just started, that's all I started doing was doing a, a, every play I could do. And before you know it, I graduated from college and um, I didn't, I hadn't, I just didn't have, have any direction other than this thing that people told I was good at. And I was right. like, well, I may as well try that. And I did. And it worked out. I mean, I, I really. Did it, did it early on, you talk about kind of like, like I mean, did it, did it give you self-confidence early on? It must have. Like, there was there. Yeah, like the a... only reason why I got involved in it early on is because people told me I was handsome and talented. And <laughs> after having been, had horrific acne, cystic acne growing up. And no girlfriends and to be told that you're like talented and handsome. Right. It was tantamount to like getting, uh, you know, it was manna from heaven. So I was like, feed me, feed me, feed me. And so that initial drive to get that validation was really, really helpful because I was really hungry for it and served me really well for many, many years. And then. It, it really didn't. And then ultimately I had to figure other things out, but um, that's why I got into it originally. This makes me love you all the more. I mean, cause the people that have the, the secret, like the Henry Cavill has like the fat kid always inside of him. He grew up a fat kid that I can relate to. I can't relate to the guy. I thought Chris, you were an alien. I thought you came out of the womb like this. This makes me feel a lot better. No, man. No, I, uh, no, 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 no. This is all a mask. Which always makes me, you know, it makes me, uh, uh, it, it's always very interesting for me. It was a very hard initially, you know, when you're getting, you know, you, I get cast as, as like the prince or right. a certain kind of guy. and But to deeply, almost cellularly not believe that, Right. The kind of internal dissonance that that creates is pretty intense because you also feel like I can never live up to this idea that, of what they think I am, which is just not true. So, well, thanks. thanks for, you know, 20 years later, it's not so much of an issue, but certainly <laughs> early on was it was definitely one. Well, that is fascinating because you look at the first films and you're kind of like on this path this dangerous path to like himbo-ness basically, right. you know, right. You're doing like the, you know, obviously princess diaries, you're doing just my luck. You're, I found like an amazing poster for a movie called blind dating that I want to just hang on my wall. You should have yeah. it if you don't, <laughs> but that, so this is fascinating. This must've been kind of a bit of a mind fuck. Like, it's like, Oh, great. Like these are really cool opportunities, but it's also like the thing you probably relate least to in your soul, the thing I relate to the absolute least. Like I don't understand that guy. I don't understand being that guy. I don't understand being cool like that, like at all. So, um, and all the stuff I was playing in college was, you know, uh, um, uh, just different. You know, different. I just had a whole different idea of what the whole thing was going to be about. And it wasn't that, and that's you know, it's that's been the journey. It's been super interesting, that's for sure. How how it, it must have been nice though to like start out with like a, a filmmaker like Gary Marshall, like who must. Oh have- my god! I mean, firstly, you have to understand that was two thousand, um, like three, like so, just like the tail end of like movies are making a shit ton of money, and there's money everywhere. Especially <laughs> like you're shooting in L.A., you're shooting a big fat $90 million rom-com 
on the back lot at Universal and the caterings like sushi and shellfish and <laughs> steaks. And like, I just had no idea what I was walking into. And there was a parade. Gary had a parade that he had all the departments make a float. And then he judged the parade like at a 1 p.m. on a Friday while we were shooting. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty remarkable way to get introduced to the business. That's for sure. Yeah, you didn't know you were like literally seeing the last vestiges of that model. Like that was, it, it was over. <laughs> I mean, for me, that was the last time that ever, well, yeah, that was the last time that ever happened. Even on yeah. Star Trek 1, which was like four years later, right. it was not even, it wasn't that at all. Before, before Star Trek, were there close calls to the films that you thought were going to put you in a different stratosphere to put you in that kind of thing? No, there were like, no. So what happened? In, did you feel like you aced that audition? Did that feel like, like it no, was... The only, the only audition that I felt that I aced, I had the most important one. I, so I, the, I'm sure people were at all interested in my... my <laughs> story know that I auditioned for it originally I didn't get it I didn't think anything about it then my agent said you can you go in to meet JJ and I said why they said you want to audition for it again and I said okay and then I went there and auditioned and I I definitely knew I did a good job I definitely want to audition for JJ and JJ is also the best audience of all time he's like right. loving and kind and so positive and your best friend. Uh, and I killed it. I had a great time. I felt really strongly about it. But at that point too, I, I'd had enough rejection that, you know, you're like, yeah, I killed it, but what the fuck it's is nothing. that? Yeah, so. yeah. Did you have a read on like, did you know what your take was immediately? I mean, that, I still like everybody does looks at that initial cast of what JJ put together and you guys as a miracle. Like it was like the un uncastable movie and somehow he like figured it out that negotiating of the honoring the original cast and doing their own thing. Like, did you know the, the, the line to toe? No, man. I mean, like, honestly, my take on it, I was just trying to get through it. Like I was just trying to do, I did, there was no like deep, anybody that's seeing any sort of like very skilled take on the character is just not, <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. I was just trying to play make believe of like a spaceship captain. And then I think anytime there was a Shatnerism, it was either JJ saying, you know, or it was me fucking around, or it was JJ saying, you right. know, do it as Shatner. And I'd fuck around, but I wasn't trying to at all do some sort of interesting nuanced pastiche of, Shatner. I was just like grateful for the job and, you know, show up and say the lines that sometimes it's that simple. <laughs> well, I mean, work my ass off and be terrified most of the time, but like, yeah, just there's so much else going. I mean, that that's a, it's a hundred, it's my first hundred and something, whatever, $50 million film. So there's so much learning curve there. There's like, how big is the set? Right. I mean, fucking people are on set. There's an EPK crew following you around all of the time. There are executives watching everything you do. There are, I mean, it's so much that it's just too, too overwhelming. You just, all you concentrate on is what is the scene? What are my lines? That's it. You know? I, to I totally hear you. I, I think people don't realize that. I mean, look, I, I do a tiny aspect of that in like my car carpet stuff or how to do live things. And it's, it's shutting out the noise. That's like, that's 80% of the job is just to like hone in on your, on your specific job and relating to either the camera or the person in the scene with you and shutting out all the shit that's like right in your peripheral vision. And yeah. And I wasn't, I just wasn't probably smart enough at that point to think of like how I could do it a la Shatner. I mean, we right. never, you know, I had a choice between doing an LA confidential sequel that Joe Carnahan was going right. to direct in yeah. Star Trek. And my sister, I was like, well, I really want to do the weird detective who kills Clooney and the fucking thing. <laughs> and then she's like, well, maybe the, maybe Jim Kirk, maybe Kirk is more, is harder because you don't, you can't play the hunchback, so to speak. And I was like, you're totally fucking right. 
And that, I, as I recall, it was the first time I had an inkling of what, how do I say it, that kind of acting is. Yeah. By which I mean, um, it's a movie star acting. And I only, I only mean that insofar as what is intriguing about that kind of acting is it, you are you. You're, you're you, you're bringing all of your qualities to it. That That's what, you know, I talk about Harrison Ford all the time. That's yes. Ford, or that's Julia Roberts, or that's Costner, or that's Bruce Willis. It's like, that's the thing. And it's actually much harder because you are you have to mind fuck your way into this thing of like, I have nothing to hide behind. Right. You know, it's just, it's just this thing. So that, that was my, that was my, that was the learning curve there, I think. I, I've had the privilege of having, Quentin Tarantino on the podcast a few times, and he has gushed, and you know this, he has gushed about not only Star Trek, you and Star Trek. Like he he was the reason he wanted to do his version of Star Trek. You, I mean, you know this by now. <laughs> um, have you spent time with him? Has he talked to you about his his love of I Trek? I haven't spent any time with uh, Quentin talking about Star Trek. Uh, I met with him years ago for um, Hateful Eight, uh, for a part that he, within the first two minutes of the meeting, told me I wasn't right for, <laughs> uh, which I had great respect. I really had a ton of respect for him for that. Um, but I got to go to Quentin's house and see his famous living room with all of his VHS tapes and stuff. And, um, uh, and then I used to take my mom to the Academy Awards all the time, and I'd see Quentin at the Vanity Fair party afterwards, and he would always talk to my mother. He loved my mother. My mother knows everything about old Hollywood because my grandmother was in it. And of course, Quentin knows my grandmother and all of the films that my grandmother did. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out and on the screen at Bruce Stern's whatever fucking at the Ranch. thing, yeah, yeah. one of my grandmother's films is playing on the television. Um, and I might, I might just get a restraining order. He might, he might be too note. interested. Yeah. I sent him a <laughs> note about that, uh, thanking him. And anyway, he's a he's a... Look, man, if I, for him to say those kind of things about me is a, is a big, big pat on my back. No, it's amazing, man. Um, talk to me like, okay, in the wake of, of Trek, which, cha- which changes obviously your career a thousand percent. Did you know the path? Did you have an idea? Or are you just sort of like taking the best that's offered to you? Like, what, give me, put me in your headspace. Like suddenly you have new opportunities, new people that yeah, want to meet you. I, just like coming to set as a whole thing, that whole experience happens so fast. And look, my experience is one thing to be like, uh, I think about it with like Harry Styles or something who I work with, like to have the, or Leo, like that catapult, sure. that fucking rocket ship. I don't know if I would have, that would have blown my brain apart. My rocket ship was pretty fast, but it was, it's a pretty mellow rocket ship. Nonetheless, it's still, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. You know, all of a sudden you have 17 paparazzi at your gym and they're, fu- they're, st- they're outside your fucking 400 square foot apartment waiting for you to come out. Um, and you're getting offers all over the place. And I, you know, I was a really like at that time, a very thoughtful um, to uh, a cursed extent. And so I waited a long time and then um, Unstoppable came around and uh, that was like, I couldn't turn that down. I didn't yeah. want to do it because there really wasn't any part. Uh, it wasn't anything I was interested in doing, but it was a great script. It was like one of these scripts that were, it's about a train. It's like, how can this be interesting? And I was couldn't put it down. And then it was Denzel and Tony who were my two heroes, two of my heroes. So that was the thing. And then I didn't, then I really, really waited until this means war, which was, but. That's a whole nother podcast. All other things. So anyway, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about, you mentioned Tony Scott. That was sadly Tony's last film. It must've been a remarkable experience. He was a hell of a guy. Um, I asked you for a comfort yeah. movie and you chose one of his brother's great films. And it actually reminds me of some of the stuff you were just talking about, um, about that kind of unsung thing about a movie star being a movie star and holding the screen. And I think of that when I think of Gladiator and Russell Crowe. Talk to me about- I mean, that was my hangover movie uh, of choice for, uh, 
when I was hungover. <laughs> um, he is, I don't even know how to describe him in that film. He is like, uh, he was my touchstone when I made um, Outlaw King. I was like, I just want to be, I just want to be Russell Crowe. And I, <laughs> it was a mistake because it didn't work out <laughs> as I'd hoped, but um Jesus, man. I mean, handsome beyond all get out, but a man and with such facility with his emotions and I, the whole thing. I could, I could watch it all day long. It's a masterpiece of masterclass in movie star acting. Like it's just, yeah. Without a doubt, one of the best, I think. What's, what's a scene or a speech that jumps out? What's the first thing that that's just like eminently? Well, the first thing that comes out, I mean, the, the entire final fight. Uh, you're dealing with a crowd. You're dealing with Joaquin doing his thing. You're dealing with fighting. You're also dealing with dying. Then you're dealing with thinking about your dead wife and son. It's like, that's a lot to play. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot to play. And he just holds it right here. He doesn't do anything. He just yeah. holds it right there. That's spectacular. It's spectacular. He doesn't even cry. It's just like all here, holding all of it. And then I heard directorially, which was like a real coup. This Maybe this is just hyperbole uh, or apocryphal, but they ended up going back and shooting all of that hand through the wheat stuff. That was all uh, either after they previewed or something, which makes the film. I mean, that, yeah. that makes the film. Yeah. That, that, the gorgeous score, everything about it. Totally. Rhett Ridley is, is apparently, yeah. I mean, he's like in his eighties and he's still just going straight, making a movie a year. It's insane. And oh, giant movies. Crazy, crazy. Making, he's making Napoleon now. I know. <laughs> I know. With Joaquin, speaking of yeah. uh, Gladiator. Uh, Son of Maximus, he's going to do the Gladiator sequel. You ready, Chris? Yes. Sign me up. Yes. <laughs> he's seriously going to do it. He's apparently, that's like his next film, I think. Get get Team Pine I'm, on the line. Get, get I'm on. here. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm so fucking here for that. What do you need? Um, you got a lot uh, in the can that I'm excited about. You mentioned Don't Wor Worry, Darling, which we're all very excited about. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which uh, comes from the Game Night folks who I, I'm obsessed with that film. You've described it as a combination of Game of Thrones, Princess Bride, Basic Instinct, Godfather. No, not the last two. But <laughs> uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Game of Thrones meets Princess Bride with a dash of Holy Grail and a good dose of Goonies. Yeah. And what's and what's your function in this? Are you are you like the dashing hero of our dreams, or are you playing with that a little bit, or or what's uh, what's fun for you? As about usual, this guy? as per all of these contracts, I can't say anything. Um, right. uh, but as I described before, I'm like the the world's best and worst party planner. That's that, that's exactly what I would expect out of a Dungeons and Dragons movie, a party planner. Uh, that makes total sense. Did you ever play D and D growing up? I didn't. The first time I played D&D &D was right before I left. I played with my nephew and my family because my nephew's a huge D&Der. Um, and we had so much fun. And if there's a group of people that couldn't be more well-suited for D&D, &D, it's a bunch of actors. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had so much fun. We had so much fun. I think it should be de rigueur for should teach like meditation, improv, D&D. &D. Well, mask work yeah exactly yeah mask work exactly <laughs> um we haven't seen anything of don't worry darling yet obviously olivia's uh next directing effort mm. helvacast Florence pew you mentioned harry you uh seems like a much different kind of thing to book smart clearly um what was uh what was fun about that one can you tease a little bit about that experience oh well what's not fun i mean i love olivia i've known her forever uh she's just incredibly bright, incredibly intelligent. Um, Wait, did you, I read somewhere, did you, were you up for Tron? Did you do the, the, the screen yeah, test with Olivia back for Tron? Tron? 
God, I may have a screen tested. I was definitely, I was up for it, but I don't know if I screen tested. Maybe I blocked yeah. it out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, um, it's period. So it's like, and it's my favorite period. So it's like mid-century, 50s, 60s. The outfits are great. We shot at uh, a Neutra house in, in um, Palm Springs. It was gorgeous. So all of that aside. And then I play a fucking cult leader. I mean, oh, I didn't know that sounds juicy. That's great. And I haven't played a bad guy in a minute. So this guy is just uh, such a creep. Um, <laughs> it was so much fun to do. I had a blast. Uh, Florence, who I love to death. Uh, I mean, I've seen the, the film. Florence is, she's just. I don't know if there's anyone better. She's um, yeah. Talk about an actor that just jumps off the screen. Like she's just got it. I mean, just to be that young and that in charge of her. She's such command of her body, of her voice, of her craft, of her. She's so comfortable of her sexuality. She's just like a fully formed human being. So young. I, I just, I, it's, it's beyond me and such a kind person, such a giving actress. Uh, she's so good in it. Um, yeah, I'm really, really excited for people to see it. I don't really want to give anything away other than I think it'll really creep people out and blow them away. That's all I needed. Um, I know it's premature. We don't know like exactly the whens and the where's, but the hope is to get the gang back together at long last about Trek. And I don't know, like what, what's like your attitude about like, because there've been so many stops and starts the last bunch of years. Like there's been no less than three or four different iterations of this. Like, do you have to kind of like, I don't know, temper, enthusiasm, excitement because you've been down this road other times or like, what's your attitude now about potentially getting the, the gang back together finally? Um, I, I, cause I, well, I think reporters think that we know more than we're saying. And when I say that, I honestly, <laughs> none of us know anything. Cause there's, I don't know. I haven't seen a script. All I heard was that they said we were making a film. I am so stoked for that idea and possibility as we all are, but it's so premature to say anything. Cause there's no date, no nothing, but I'm, I'm pretty positive we'd all come back i mean i don't see why not it'll be interesting because like this is like you started this character obviously coming full circle in our conversation at the very beginning of your career and you're now an aged man in your early 40s <laughs> but that's going to be kind of fun like to kind oh, of like so it's super cool like i i love the idea of um it's very rare to get a chance to play one character over the entire essentially course of your career if i had the chance to do that i think i'd be so cool. Yeah. So, so cool. Um, so hopefully we get to do it. Did you ever, this is the last track thing. I'm just curious. Have you ever read any of these other scripts that have come and gone like the Noah Hawley or the not one? That's crazy. Yeah. You are the last to know. <laughs> you seem, seem really cool with it too. Um, you going to be directing soon. What's pool man. I am pool man. Uh, we start in June. Uh, we have Danny DeVito and Annette Benning and myself. That's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> Looking for actors come on board. Um, yeah, this was something. So as we were talking about producing in the beginning, uh, quarantine hit and I had had this idea for this film for a long time. And I looked for a writer to do it and the writer kind of uh, bailed and um, didn't have time for it. And so my writing partner and I sat down and we wrote it in about a month and a half and um, and just started playing with it. And over the past two years, we've been rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And, um, you know, it's definitely, it's, it's an ode to Chinatown seen through the lens of like a bottle rocket and maybe a smidge of Lebowski and a smidge of being there. Um, it's absurd and heartfelt and definitely wears its heart on its sleeve. Um, and I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm ecstatic and terrified to do it. Well, these are all good touchstones. The, you're, you're swimming in the right pool. If you're, yeah. if you're aspiring yeah. to hit those notes. Nice. Um, 
where, where, where are you at in, in, in terms of theater? It's finally coming back to life here. I'm about to see my first play in New York in two and a half years. I don't know if you have ever done the stage here. You haven't, right? You've done L.A. I, I did a off, 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 off Broadway, uh, one man show in 2006 called The Atheist. No kidding. Okay. I don't know. I, you seem like... Scotland. Oh, Campbell Scott, I love him. Um, you seem like the ultimate LA guy. I don't know where you're at, like your love affair, if you have a love affair with New York or not. Do you want to come back? Oh, I have a deep back? love affair with, with you. Know, I was just there, actually. I saw my friends play Patrick Adams' play, Take Me Out, which is incredible. So good. So nice. good. So funny. Really, really good. Um, good night out of the theater. Good time to, to spend after you haven't seen it. I love it. Was going to actually move there a long time ago, and then I started working, and it never worked out. But yeah, I—I I mean, I could see myself. I would love to do theater, live there for a bit. Yeah, nice. You're welcome anytime. As I said, we've we've improved the weather just for you. Um, last, last, just it's all on me. Last thing. Last time I spoke to you, I noticed, and I didn't mention it. You had a flip phone. What's up with that? Was that an ironic flip phone? Have you upgraded since then? What's what's I uh, I have a. I had a flip phone for four years okay. or three years. And then uh, I just got an iPhone cause I felt uh, pummeled by uh, how difficult being analog. It was very difficult. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was very difficult. And in fact, but having just gotten this crack machine, it's, <laughs> it's really bad. These machines I, are no, really, they're sucking our souls out. It's horrible. It's really, really yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. So I, may right. go, I may immediately go back to a flip phone. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know if my soul can handle it. No, I think it drops all, all so of our IQs. Books, Josh. I used to I was <laughs> fucking murdering these books. Just 15 books in like three months. Just And then this showed up and it's... I could tell you everything about Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian. I can't tell you a fucking thing about literature. I can't tell you a fucking thing about it. But now you can play Wordle. You can go on TikTok. All oh, these pluses. You. Oh, I just want to vomit. <laughs> oh, I hate myself. Such self-loathing about it. I love the look. You're ending speaking my language, my love language, the self-loathing. Yeah, self-loathing. Again, I can, I can relate. Uh, Chris, thank you as always for the time. I hope this wasn't too, I hope my buffoonery wasn't too painful for you. Um, it was was great. It was great. Congrats on the two new films. And, uh, I look forward to seeing you when you uh, finally come to your senses and move to my town. Absolutely. Thank you. And so ends another edition of happy, sad, confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>